say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Pocket party. Yeah. When I'm down and feeling low with so much negativity, I listen to Darren Potter's Pocket Party. He got his friends as guests and they be really funny. He ain't over till he say, boy, don't hurt nobody. Yeah. They run, run, run. Get your jollies! And we're back! Hey everybody, it's Darren Carter, the party starter. I don't know what kind of party I'm starting with this pandemic, but... <laughs> hey man, let's get to know our families better. Let's. If you have a hobby that you've always wanted to do, this is the time to do it. This is the time to do it. For me, it's like I'm learning a little bit more how to edit and... Some di- I'm learning from my son. I'm like, how did you do that? Like, he'll do little things. Even with iMovie on the Apple computers, I'm like, how did you do that? And he's like, oh, you go to this button, and then you do this, you do that. Check out some of the stuff I'm learning. Go to my YouTube channel. Also, my son started his YouTube channel for his music, and he goes by Os the Bass Boss, A-U-S, Os the Bass Boss, and it's for his bass voice. He's 12 years old, but he's going through puberty, and also that he, he plays the bass guitar, so... Check that out. I think I linked it on my YouTube channel. If you want to support what we're doing, uh, keep the lights on. It, really, it always helps. And I really appreciate every donation we get. Go to Venmo, Darren Carter Comic on Venmo. And if you're into PayPal, the link is on my is uh, on my website. Uh, I'm on PayPal. Uh, go to DarrenCarter.com for that link. All right, you guys. Let's get into it. Let's have a great day. And uh, don't hurt nobody. And we'll see you next week. And we're back. Hey, everybody. It's your host, Darren Carter, the party starter with the Pocket Party Podcast. And today we have a very special guest, Mr. Earl Skakel. Yeah, what up? What up? (laughs) Yeah, two two guys over 40 raising the roof. What up, people? 40? I wish I was 40. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, man. Hey, how are you, Earl? Good. You know, just I'm sure every comic is uh, struggling with, with uh, in their own ways with the 
this pandemic, but that's why I love doing this podcast at, at night because that's when I struggle the most is at night. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's like, you know, during the day, you could kind of keep yourself busy with exercising or whatever those things are that you do. But it's it's when it's uh, like there's something about booking the show. Even tonight, I'm like, all right, I got this. Earl's at nine o'clock. You, you kind of, you know, I took a shower. I get ready for it. You mentally prepare for something. But yeah, it's good to do these at night. You know, I feel like why would I do it in the morning? It's, that sounds like morning radio. It sounds like a nightmare. But yeah. I mean, it's really messed up my sleep patterns because now I save, like I bought an elliptical for the house and I'll do that probably in like an hour or two where if this was normal times, I would do it at like two or three in the afternoon to uh, get out of the way before comedy and whatever. But now I'm, you know, I'm hyped up till four or five in the morning because, you know, you get the endorphins and (laughs) so it's... This pandemic's really messed up my sleep schedule. Yeah, man. It's um, it's for our new uh, listeners or people that are new to to Earl Skakel, uh I know a lot about you, but can you tell the, just tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, I know you grew up in uh, I want to say Beverly Hills or Bel Air. It was a really nice area of Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Bel Air, so I'm proof that not all comics are poor. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, and uh, you know, but you know, when you tell people you've grown up in Bel Air, they just assume you're rich. Uh, we were like middle class. We were, we were like the Adams family uh, because my dad bought a house in Bel Air in the early '60s when Bel Air was not the Bel Air today. It's just like a a grove a jungle basically with very few homes. And then there was the famous Bel Air fire, which happened in the mid sixties, I think burned down every home in Bel Air, but my dad's. So it was like, we were in the, we were first up on the tech stock offer. Uh, And then, you know, in the seventies, Bel Air, you know, our neighbors were like Kareem, OJ, uh, James Kahn, Harry Nielsen, who's, often called the fifth Beatle, uh one of the wow. probably the most prolific songwriter of the 70s uh and then of course the 80s you uh you have like gloria vanderbilt and all these big celebrities will chamberlain so it was it was and then you know my dad bought a membership to bel air country club for like 1200 dollars, which in the 60s was a lot and now I think a, a membership there costs three or four hundred thousand dollars. So we, oh we weren't really gosh. rich. We were, yeah. I mean, I, I, who knows how much it costs? Uh, I'll guess at least three hundred grand. But like, so we we're just lucky more than rich. Uh, but it was still an interesting uh, background to grow up in. Do Do you have? Uh, I'm sure. And back then, I would imagine. Like now, I don't really see my neighbors that often. I mean, you kind of see them. You don't really. But I'm sure back in the that. Back then, you probably would. There's a little bit more interaction with the neighbors. You might see them jogging around or skating. Skating was pretty popular back in the '70s. Oh yeah, I mean, I used to see Kareem uh, jogging all the time, and it's it's one of my fondest memories as a child to see a seven foot two black dude <laughs> jogging in his do- like dolphin shorts and and. Uh, his goggles and you know because in the in the 70s and i'm not trying to do a bit here there were very few black people in bel-air in the 70s it was really just kareem 
OJ and Will Chamberlain uh, and the guy who took me to school. So, I mean, there were so few black people in Bel Air that I would say probably at least 10 times uh, the guy who took me to school, uh, who was very black, uh, we got pulled over before we even got out of Bel Air. Wow. Uh, because they had a private security and they would be like, uh, do you know this guy? I'm like, yeah, that's Leroy. And they thought he was kidnapping me. Mm. And then I'm sure after a while they were like, okay, yeah, I, I recognize this, this kid and this guy, but, but there'd always be maybe a new guard or something that was a little like, what's up yeah, with that? I mean, Ooh, what's going on here? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Leroy drove, it's funny cause it's the car I drive now. He drove a green Dodge charger and oh, that's awesome. I can't explain to you how black Leroy was. I mean, he made like Dikembe Mutombo look like an albino. Uh, <laughs> he was incredibly black. So, and then you had me, this little white kid with long hair. <laughs> I'm sure the optics of it, and I'm yeah. sure the cops are not, they weren't cops, but the security guys were probably racist, I'll guess. Uh, Cause these are like, I don't know if it's like this now, but back then the people who were security for like Bel Air or Beverly Hills or any nice gated community, there were people who got rejected to be cops. So I'm sure they were pissed and, and probably more racist than the actual police force. <laughs> yeah, they probably were. They're probably like, I don't got to deal with protocol. I'll just, you know, I call it as I see it, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure it was like, you know, what, what, what is Leroy going to do other than abide by their borderline racist uh, techniques? Yeah. Did, did Leroy uh, ever turn you on to any, uh, like, like music or Motown or R&B or anything that you probably wouldn't have been exposed to without Leroy? If you can Oh, recall? he definitely did. He turned me on to Sambo's Restaurant, which... Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy to me. No, I'm not even kidding. He would take me to Sambo's like every day for lunch. Now, Sambo's, and there's still the original one in Santa Barbara, which is crazy to me in this wow. era. And I do great. remember Sambo's back in the 70s. I remember that. And then there was like a controversy and they took it down or they something. That's crazy. There's still Sambo's out there. Well, yeah, I think the controversy stemmed from the, not the logo, but the, the sign you know, outside of, uh, it was like a, a black, either a baby or a person with like a bone ring through it, through the nose. And it was like a pretty, like, yeah, definitely racist or whatever, uh, yeah. portrayal you know, of a black person. Yeah. We were talking, you know, like, like there were certain things that, you know, we, you know, we grew up with in the seventies and eighties that, that, they don't really, it doesn't really, you know, fly right now. Like, you know, uh, like the Confederate flag was on the General Lee on the Dukes of Hazard. you know, national television. That was the car, you know, and um, they would honk their horn and it would go. Doo -doo 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 and then they'd have that. I believe it was either on the hood or the roof of the car, the Confederate flag. And it was called the General Lee. And uh, I believe now if you if you buy that car or see something, it's just orange. They, they took the flag off. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was like one of the things I've been doing to pass time uh, is watch old 80s wrestling videos. And, uh, you know, African-American wrestlers weren't exactly portrayed in the greatest light. 
but I was watching a, a match the other day with Kamala, who uh, was this wrestler portrayed to be from Uganda. <laughs> he came to the ring in a grass skirt and like a tribal paint on his face, and he was wrestling uh, the fabulous Freebirds, who were these three rednecks, and one <laughs> had the uh, Confederate flag painted on his face. Uh, wow. So, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, I feel old saying this, but like, I'm amazed at some of the racist things that I was exposed to back then that were not racist at the time. I mean, they were racist, but they weren't like, you couldn't right. do that rest. You couldn't do a wrestler with a Confederate flag on his face in, in 2020. Yeah, like if you pitch that, hey, I got this character I want to play. It's like, uh, you know. Yeah, I got a, you know, there was another wrestler, and wrestling really seems to be at the crux of racism in, uh, in the time frame <laughs> we're talking about. But, you know, you had the junkyard dog who literally came to the ring with a dog collar barking like a dog. Like, and, you know, he had to get on all fours and go, arr, arr, arr. And it's like, what, what, the, what is this? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But then, you know, and, you, and, you, you know, see like, you know, Snoop Dogg, he's got the dog thing happening. Wow. Wow. Snoop Dogg, the Deagle double G, the dog pound. And then DMX, you know, DMX, you know, he's like, rah, rah, rah. so it's, there's something masculine, I guess. Like when you're, where's all my dogs at? Like the whole dog thing. But yeah, you never know. Like, how are we going to look, how are people going to look back at 20 years from now? Like those rappers or whatever, you know? It's interesting. I mean, you know, like one of my favorite oh. shows uh, of all time is The White Shadow, which, uh, you know, was about an all black school and, and the basketball team was coached by a white, uh, a white play, uh, ex NBA player. And I don't yeah. think you could do that show uh, in 2020 because it was just, uh, it was that show was so far ahead of its time. But, <laughs> You know, nowadays, I think it would be boring to kids. Like, where are the explosions and where's the CGI and, you know, the lasers? And uh, so, I, I mean, I, in some ways, I think that, like, all in the family, I don't think you could do that show in 2020. Oh, I know. And that was a great show. Come on, man. That was one of my favorites. You know, Archie Bunker and Edith. Hey, Dingbat. <laughs> I mean, I think the greatest 10 minutes of sitcom history, and I, I, for once I'm being serious, is uh, that episode, and it was one of the earlier seasons, so I'll, I'll say 72 or 73, it was when Sammy Davis forgot his uh, briefcase in the cab. So he goes to Archie Bunker's house, and he has to wait there for about 10 minutes until the cab driver comes there. And that nine minutes where he's in Archie Bunker's house, and they have this back and forth. It's the writing is like beyond anything that's on TV today. Oh man. I'm gonna have to look that up. So I'll just Google Sammy Davis jr. On, on, uh, the Archie Bunker oh. show, Archie, Archie Bunker's place or something. I think now, if you look up Sammy Davis, all in the family, I think oh, all the, in the family. The that's nine, right. Yeah. The nine minute scene where he's in his, uh, uh, chair you know he sat in archie's chair and, and it starts with that <laughs> and then uh i think at one point uh he accidentally takes archie's glass and drinks out of it 
And then he gives it back to Archie to drink out of it. And you just see Archie just kind of look at the glass like, uh, I can't drink this now. And it's just yeah. it's subtle humor, but it's it's very racial. Uh, and You know what was great about that character is like there were people who would, you know, who would look at Archie and be like, like, what an idiot. The guy is so stupid. Just you know, what the? And there was other people who would look at it and be like, oh, my God, that's that's me or that's my dad or that's. You know, so it was very, you know, relatable and, and, and either people like agreed with them and, and you know, or, or they thought the character was stupid. But it's like it's that character is very relatable. You know, I mean, he was really my first comedy influence. Like most comics have uh, like stand ups they gravitated to. it, But Archie Bunker was like when I got a little older and can process, you know, the the reality of his character was like, I want to say jokes like he was saying where there's uh, the content is so awful, but you still liked him. Like he was a buffoon. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And probably the highlight of my comedy career by far is when uh, I was doing the, it was called the house racist heckler on roast battle. And uh, Jim Carrey was up there one night. And from day one, I mean, I was doing an impression of a former talent coordinator, but it was always geared towards being Archie Bunker and Jim Carrey after Jim Carrey was judging that night. And no one ever got it when I would say, hey, I'm doing like Archie Bunker. And people would be like, who's that? Because it was a younger crowd. And Jim Carrey just goes up to me and whispers into my ear, hey, Archie, where's Edith? And I. Oh, that's awesome. I could have quit comedy after like he got, that's how brilliant his mind was, is he instantly got. Yeah. I mean, whenever you would do that character, the, uh, you know, like, well, I mean, it's just funny. It's like, so you do that character so good. You know? Wow. I mean, it was, well, I mean, they're attacking head to high ground. Uh, (laughs) I I, I mean, you know, it, it, it was just, it still blows me away that a, a man who had, let's just say, those interesting takes on certain elements of society was in charge of the comedy store. Like, right, like, right, right. Like, it still like blows my mind. Uh, you know, I mean, we all have an inward story of this person. Like, the first time I ever he ever spoke to me was he said that word, and I'm like. Wow, it's jarring, isn't it? It's like jarring, like whoa, like you know, like wow, um, yeah. Did you ever hear a story like these? Like he might have said that that word to some comics or something, and they wanted to like fight him or or punch him or something like. I heard some kind of something like that in in the cover booth or something. I don't know. I mean, I think uh, I heard Doc Willis one time was like, uh, you know, Doc was pretty. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if militant's the right word, but like he didn't take any sh- like, Can you swear yeah. on this? He didn't yeah, take yeah, yeah. any yeah. He didn't take any shit. Right. Uh, so I think Tommy at one point referenced some black audience members in not the greatest way. And mm. uh, Doc was like, uh, you're not saying that to about my people. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah. But uh, nothing ever happened, uh, which is, you know, the great thing about Doc is he ended up being on the cartoon I'm on. Oh, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, Doc was a guy who kind of struggled to fit in at the comedy store, I think, you know, and 
this is back in the day. You know, people think Roast Battle was an aggressive show, but, you know, back before that, it's comedy stores, you know, is pretty aggressive in their clicks. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, making fun of people and, and Doc always got made fun of. Oh, you're the loser parking lot guy. Just shut up and park my car, you loser or whatever. And now he's on a cartoon making more money than anyone who ever made fun of him. That's awesome. He's a, uh, you know, by the way, guys, if you're listening and you want to check out one of my albums, it's called the party continues and doc Willis uh, introduces me. So you can hear doc Willis on my, my fourth album, the party continues, but yes, yeah. <laughs> buy all of Darren's albums. You know, yes. we're all struggling, but <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think people realize how much they can help guys like you and me who we're not, not famous, but we're not famous. You know, we're right. in a weird fame level. Uh, yeah, it's like I I know when I when I uh, when I get uh, you know Earl Skakel on this podcast, I know that I'm going to get more listeners, and I know you're in. You know what I mean? We're like we're not like at that level of like you know like you said we're we're, we're nobody knows us, but we're not at the level where you know like something like this actually gets us. You know, it helps us. It's like more people will see both of us, and it just helps. It's like uh, you know, I mean, you you've been how long have you been doing comedy? Because I I remember you like for years now. Like I remember when you had like the longer hair and the hockey jerseys, and and you were funny back then. Uh, well, you were, thank you. You you, you must uh, be. I'm gonna if I were to guess, I you you've probably been doing this 25 plus years. Am I there or? I mean, I've been I've been doing it so long. I honestly don't remember when I started. Like I I, I can't remember my first show because I have. St- I've yeah. probably done thousands of shows. Uh, I'll say 20 years. I think I started yeah. around maybe late 99. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, it's just like I, I, the shows run at the years, the shows, they just, yeah. it's a blur. It is a blur, man. It really does. They say that that happens with Los Angeles because there's not a lot of seasons really. And, you know, and every the years kind of blur, and then you're like, "Whoa, has that been like seven years already?" It's crazy, you know. Like, um, you know, having a kid really helps, like with time, because I my son's twelve, and so I I'm like, he's twelve years old, and then he, I mean, yeah, that really is a timekeeper because you there's no getting around it, you know. Yeah, but I, you mean, wanted- I was a, I mean, I was a maniac when I started. Like, I would say my first five years. I averaged going up 20 times a week. You know, I'd go up, uh, I would say on average two and a half times a night, you know, uh, sometimes four times a night, sometimes one. Uh, so I would say my first three to five years, I, I had the experience level of someone who's been doing it for 10. Uh, yeah. And you know, what's good is you were, you were like a little older when you started, you know, like you weren't like, like when I started, I was still a teenager. And, you know, I didn't have much life experience. I didn't really get, you know, like more relatable actually until I would say I was in my like late 20s. Like a lot of my earlier stuff was funny if you were into pop culture references and really and younger, you know, and uh, you know what I mean? It, like, it's probably good that you, you didn't start it like as a 15 year old or a 16 year old. You know, you already kind of had things to say when you started. Uh- I mean, I wish I, it's one of, it's probably the only true regret I have is not starting just maybe a little earlier, just because I started at 30, which in standup is ancient. Uh, I mean, you see kids today and they're starting 
17, 18, 19 years old. I don't know if I wish I started that early, but uh, I just think, you know, when I was 30, I was at open mics with people who were 20 and, and not that, you know, I was probably more polished than they were just cause like you said, I had more life experience, but uh, you know, this is, this industry is a young person's game for the most part. So uh, you know, it, it's, I mean, I started when I started, so there's nothing I do about right. it, but yeah. You know, do you, I, um, I want to ask you something about the country club. So Bel Air, so I'm reading this book right now and um and in the book, they're talking a lot about golf, and it's by Stephen Pressfield, and it's called The Authentic Swing. And he's talking, combining writing with golf and, and how he's written his screenplay. He wrote, he wrote Bagger Vance. Bagger Vance, yeah, Bagger Vance. And he said that, um, you know, he was talking about, like, when, when, uh, when the squires, when they would go to war, like, the, they'd have these younger boys, like, holding their weapons for the, for the great warriors. And that's kind of how he thought of, oh, I can do this with golf. They get the caddies and they got the golfers and the caddy. And even though you're, you know, it's just you and the caddy. That's the only one by the rules that are allowed out there. Um, have you ever been, <laughs> I was telling my brother-in-law about this and he's like, what is it? Cause my brother-in-law's into golf. He's like, so you're reading a book about how to be a caddy and how to serve other people. <laughs> I'm like, no, I mean, it's, I'm just saying it's, you know, the whole golf, but uh, have you ever golfed using a caddy or was that kind of played out by the time you, I mean, that's, that might've been like using a caddy. Uh, is that common or has that been replaced by? I mean, and nowadays, well, I think Bel Air had a rule that you had to use a caddy. Um, and it's funny. My dad was the most popular member with the caddies cause he would tip double. Uh, Oh, nice. And he would let you ride in the, yeah. I mean, he was very, uh, caddy friendly. Like he would let them, ride with him in the car where most other members would, I'm going to ride the cart. You walk. Oh, uh, and he yeah. would let them, and he would drink beer with them. And, uh, like for, I think 18 holes, you're supposed to tip him like 40 bucks. This is back then. Uh, yeah. my dad would give him a hundred for nine holes. Wow. Uh, so they, they must've loved him. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, they fought to get his bag. Like when my dad <laughs> would roll up, it was like uh, the bulls of Pamplona trying to get his bag. Um, so, yeah. and probably the, the best story I can tell about my dad is, you know, he was like the Rodney Dangerfield character in Caddyshack. You know, he probably had the most money of anyone up there, but if you looked at him, he had a shirt on inside out. He was a diabetic, so he was always eating candy. In his mind, that's how he regulated his insulin. So he'd have, like, chocolate bars in his car and golf bag that clearly had melted. He would just <laughs> eat them, rub it on his shirt. And uh, one day he's uh, standing at the ballet, and James Garner, the actor... I love him. I love James Garner. Up. Yeah, Rockford Files, Maverick, uh, yeah. many, many. And James Garner looks at my dad, and my dad was so disheveled looking. James Garner says something like, hey, boy, go take my bags to the first tee. Ooh. So my dad, being like who he was, took the bags to the first tee. And then James Garner walks up and goes, yeah, I'm supposed to play golf with Jim Skakel. And uh, my dad was like, you're looking at him. Uh, then, <laughs> that's awesome 
what, what, I got to ask real quick. What did your dad do for a living? Like to, to have this sort of lifestyle? Well, it, it's, uh, my dad was like a modern day MacGyver. He, uh, he did everything. Uh, like he was on the cover of, uh, life magazine in the sixties for killing a whale. Uh, like I, and I mean a whale, uh, like not a little baby whale, like a giant, giant whale. Uh, his dad had a company in the depression era. That was the only company that made money because he would drive by oil refineries and he would ask them for their waste. And they thought he was mm. crazy. Do you want our way? It, it, it would be like going up to the comedy store saying, Hey, can I have your paper shredding clippings? And the, uh, yeah, go ahead. And he would turn the waste into like graphite and other uh, products. And, you know, it, it, you probably have a hundred things in your house that are made from graphite. And you don't even know it. Uh, wow. So he was like a, he was like a businessman. He was like a scratch golfer, self-taught. Uh, you know, he, he was like, uh, there's really no one. Uh, he was like an adventure man, survivalist, hunted cool. polar bears. So he was like wow. Rodney Dangerfield meets Jacques Cousteau meets uh, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger and Predator. Wow. That's so cool, man. Are you an only child? Do you have siblings or... I have uh, two brothers and two sisters, so five of us. I'm the baby. And wow. uh, Sounds you like know, you had a special so. relationship with your dad. That's so cool, man. That's really cool. I mean, I was actually closer more with my mom, uh, oh. who, who's a... I mean, I probably got along with my dad the best out of my siblings, uh, just because... Uh, I subscribe to the theory uh, to get along, you go along with my dad. Like he was a big dude. So you, he was a very intimidating presence. Like I, I, I don't know uh, of a celebrity comparison, but he was like almost like a Russell Crowe and gladiator. You just, mm. you didn't want to see him mad. Uh, yeah. So some of my other brothers and sisters might've fought him a little bit. Uh, rebelled, I guess. I yeah. I was pretty much an ass kisser. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. You know, like we we both were, we both have astigmatism, so I get it. You know, like we yeah. are we, we don't. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. used to have a fear. Yeah, I used to not. I remember one time I almost got into a fight. Well, kind of, not really, but like in eighth grade, and uh, my glasses came off, and I was instantly. I mean, when you're nearsighted and astigmatism, it's like. Uh, uh, uh. I mean, now I wear contact lenses, but I mean. Yeah, you don't want to. You feel kind of vulnerable, right, with the glasses? I mean, I did, anyways. I don't know about you, but yeah, I mean, I did because I mean, I was bullied in uh, like grade school slash high school because I've literally been the same size since the fourth grade. Mm. Uh, so, and kids back then were a lot meaner than today. Like nowadays, kid, and you know, you you have a twelve-year-old, and yeah, I'm sure he's in the prime zone for bullies, you know, but. Nowadays, you can bully online and go, oh, this guy looks like a fat piece of blah, blah, blah. Right, right. This girl's yeah. a whore. But back then, <laughs> you, you, you got bullied to your face. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and and no, also, yeah. nowadays, they, they're, there's so many, like, they like they nip it in the bud right away. I mean, they'll call it like a hate crime or they'll be like zero tolerance. So from what I understand, I mean, maybe what really goes on isn't like that. But I feel like nowadays, it's... Uh, 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Probably harder to get bull. I don't think the bull, you know what I mean? I don't, I think they got to really go underground. With it. You're right. You can't just like, hey, punk, you know, give me your shoes. I mean, not in. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know like in sixth, seventh grade, I was the same size I am now. So people would make fun of me you know, call me Herman Monster and Lurch. I, I, that was my nickname in grade school was Lurch. Cause I, <laughs> you know, I talk, I still talk like I did back then. So. Wow. Uh, you would think that like, because with your size and deep voice that you would, they would be afraid of you, but I guess you're, you're who you are. It doesn't matter your size. And that makes it easier. They're like, Oh, that big kid. I made fun of him to his face. Like they oh, probably it was gotta, awful. Yeah. And like, I have a big head. It sounds like I'm going into a bit, but like, you know, so uh, in high school when I wasn't as big as everyone, uh, you know, like I had never seen kids my age, my size or bigger until I got to high school. So they would call me like Elephant Man because my head's pretty big. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And that movie was on cable all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's constantly on. And it's funny now, but back then I used to go home crying and. Like, I, was, I remember was, the first time these kids made fun of me. I was because uh, I I went to the same you know elementary school, actually kindergarten through sixth grade. So those kids kind of knew back then. I had bright red hair and um, hold on, ah. check this out. I just found this picture uh, during this quarantine. This is me at eighteen. Look at this. <laughs> yeah, but you're a good looking dude, man. Yeah, I look like vanilla ice. I used to call myself strawberry fudge. But look, so that's but imagine that all that hair, that was all bright red. <laughs> so that's that was like the Rick Astley day. But uh but yeah, so I remember I was 12 years old and uh we were standing in alphabetical order and I remember standing, you know, in, in PE and I remember I'm a Carter and there was this kid next to me whose last name started with B and uh these these big kids like the actually the 8th graders they, they were looking, they were over there and they were like pointing at what I thought was him and they were calling him Buddy Holly and his hair was bright and making fun of him. And I remember thinking like, oh, it's messed up. They're making fun of that guy. And then, and then I realized it was me that they were making fun of. And then your heart just sinks right. like, damn, like, yeah, wow, Buddy Holly. And then I, I, I yeah, because I, I used to wear the big glasses and man, that was a, that was a wake up call. I was like. I remember asking this other redhead kid who was a, who I had gone to church with. He went to the same school, and he was a old, he was a year older. And I go, hey, well, they keep making fun of me. And he goes, yeah, they, you know, after about two weeks, they'll get tired of it. Just just you know, laugh along. And uh, he was kind of right. Like they didn't. 
it kind of went away after a while, but you know, I mean, you know, it's there's I guess there's varying ways to deal with bullies. Like now I find uh, that uh, if you stand up to the bully, they'll back down. You know, not that I'm yeah. picking fights at 51 years old, but like, uh, <laughs> yeah. but you know, like we're comics, we bust balls a little bit, but you know, sometimes I'll have a comic come at me and uh, I'll go right back at them. They, they are quiet right away. You know? Yeah. You're, you're so good at that. I was going to say that, um, you know, we did a, uh, we were on uh, Brian Holtzman's podcast recently and you, you, you I, I forget how you went into it, but you, you were doing some, uh, some gentle roasting of our buddy Ralphie May, God rest his soul. But you yeah, had so I mean, many funny lines. Like, how do you? You have a gift for it, man. Like, well, I loved Ralphie. I, like I said on the podcast, I would have jumped into the coffin with him if there was room. But, jeez, uh, <laughs> I mean, five hundred ninety-four pounds getting cremated. That guy must have took a month off. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ralphie though. Like. Ralphie said, and he, did, he didn't just tell me this, but he said, Earl, when I die, uh, don't cry, don't be sad, make fun of me. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it's bullying if you know, like, but like, no, no, Ralph, make, yeah. uh, but you, you know, it's a self-defense mechanism, I think for me, like, you know, uh, like I play hockey and, and hockey is a very, uh, it's a, a very alpha male, uh, it's like, it's a very uh, kill or be killed, and, and I I don't fight, but I'll verbally just annihilate the person I'm that's trying to actually fist fight me. Uh, wow! And, yeah, you know, because they're bullets, you know, and uh, you know, I had this young kid, you know, trying to get me to fight him, and I'm like, I'm not going to fight you, dude. And then I just started laying into him, and uh, <laughs> you, you can hurt someone verbally almost more than you can physically. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 uh, my son made me laugh today because he, you know, he plays. He's a musician. He plays bass and guitar and piano, and uh, and he's really because his voice is changing. And, you know, it's it's gotten that lower. Red, he's he's got a deep voice now, but um, he loves to go online and and you know harmonize, and he's got a perfect pitch so he can tell like like we've been pl- uh, uh, we've been playing this game where I will. Uh, I'll I'll say a letter and a number and he'll try to hit that note, you know, like like C three and you know that kind of thing. So today I think as a goof, like he was sitting next to me, we were eating, and I and I kept touching him and he's like he's like, Dad, you touch me again. I'm gonna (laughs) I could do this is like this would be hilarious if you did this to a bully. He goes, If you touch me again, I'm gonna do a C seven in your face. And I did it. And I I just want to see what that sounded and he and, and I I touched him and he goes, he's like and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's hilarious!" You know, I fired back. I go, "I go, I'm going to do a B one," and he goes, "Because I don't even know what that means." I go, "I'm going to do a B one," and he goes, "That wouldn't even hurt me because it's, apparently it's like uh, or something." But these are the kind of like fun games I do with my son, like you know, just goofing around. But uh, yeah, yeah, that wouldn't work in real life. Like I'm going to do a D one in your face. Uh, unless it was in West Hollywood, probably not. <laughs> exactly. They're like, give me all that D. <laughs> yeah, I'll take a D one and a two and a three. <laughs> hey, before you started comedy in your thirties, uh, 
I, uh, I know I'm setting you up. I feel like Byron Allen. I don't tell, but I know you used to run around with like these, like some, uh, some young gun agents, right? And you, I remember I've heard some of the parties you guys would go to. Can you, you feel like telling us some of those stories? Those I mean, and, uh, it's funny. I'm in a text thread with that group right now. And I'm like, uh, I, I mean, it, I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> these were the guys who got me into comedy. They were all agents and managers and they weren't like interns they were like big agents and and and, and one specifically uh, is a gigantic manager today and uh they were all like you know we would play hockey and go to nightclubs and and they were like dude uh get into comedy you're funnier than anyone at our agency and i'm like uh, how do i do it they're like well, just figure it out and we'll help you and of course, I get into comedy, and then they all leave the business to get into real estate. Those bastards! <laughs> and, uh, which is why it took me like 13 years to get on TV. Uh, but the, we got to go to all the the, the biggest clubs, and because at that time in the late 80s and early 90s, all the guys who were doormen at clubs and and the bars and the restaurants that were the hot ones were all actors. So they knew all my friends were agents and managers. So we never had to wait in line. And uh, it was like being a celebrity without being a celebrity. And, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, I was telling someone this the other day. I, I was at some parties where I had to leave. I felt uncomfortable with the activities that were going on. And uh, one party really that stands out is uh, I got a call about, I don't know, two or three in the morning. And, uh, Hey, get over to, well, let me, let me change the name here. Get over to Bill's house. Uh, and, uh, Bill lived on Doheny and I'll just leave it at that. And, uh, so I, you know, it's, it's permanent parking on Doheny. So there was no parking. And so, uh, I knew when they told me at three in the morning to get over to Bill's house, it was for a reason. It wasn't to read scripts. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I literally, uh, parked my car i didn't even park it i just left it in the middle of doheny with the lights on the engine running i, I ran out of the car I, <laughs> I go up to bill's apartment and uh it i'll never it was like that opening scene in saving private ryan where there's just bodies everywhere and like there's uh condoms everywhere there's just uh, one girl and and she looks up at me and goes who the hell are you and one of my buddies is in the back passed out he's like oh that guy plays in guns and roses he's got more money than all of us and she motioned <laughs> for me to come over and uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was asked to uh perform a service and uh I was like, well, I, i'm gonna need a condom and uh they're like, we're all out. Go find something in the kitchen. And I'm like, what? Uh, so I, I go into the kitchen, and the first thing I see is a Pringles can, which probably would have worked at this point in the evening. And uh, I was like, well, I can't do that. And then I see an unopened uh, bag of Ritz crackers. And uh, <laughs> so I, you know, I got a pretty big hammer. The logistics are they're matching up. <laughs> so I very carefully open up the bag, pour out all the crackers. <laughs> I uh, I put it on. I uh, that was my protection, and uh, and then uh, 
you know how guys are, you know, when they're done with a girl, they, they just want her out. Back, I mean, when you're single and whatnot. And uh, so I felt so bad for this girl. I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll give you a ride home or wherever, like, you know, because I could tell my buddies, they were animals. They just wanted her out. It was about four in the morning at this point. And uh, she said, well, I'll, I'll give you a ride home. Just get your clothes. I'm tired. Let's, let's get out of here. So she, I don't know where my clothes are, which I wouldn't have blamed her. I mean, this apartment at four, or in the morning after nine hours of whatever they were doing looked like a, a Ross blew up. I mean, it's just clothes everywhere. <laughs> so I said, well, I, I'll give you a ride, but we got to go now. So she just puts on her jacket and that's it. And uh, so we get to my car on Doheny, which is still there, lights running, engine running. Wow. We get the door for her. I actually get the door for her. Like, I don't think this girl would have cared if I didn't get her door. And uh, <laughs> so I get in the car and I... You know I me, mean, I'm a car buff, you know, like Rogan, you know, I, I love cars and I'm very uh, knowledgeable. You know, I go to auto auctions, not to buy, but just, you know, I'm a fan of like nice cars. And uh, I noticed on her jacket, it says uh, Shelby Motors. And I start freaking out going, oh my God, you know, Carol Shelby, the guy who made the Cobra Mustang, he's a legend. And she just looks at me in a delivery that's drier than mine right now and goes, no, that's my husband. And I'm like, wow. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine how horny she would have been if she was single? <laughs> so there's a little bit more of the story. If you want to hear it, I don't know if we have time constraints. Tell us. Okay. So this was back in uh, the time when I used to work at a gym. So, uh, you know, the next day I had to work. I tell these two guys at the gym the story. Like, gosh, you wouldn't believe the night I had last night. And uh, they tell us. So I tell them the story. They're like, we got to meet this girl. And the one guy was a big steroid bodybuilder. He's like, I'll, I'll tell her I play on the Raiders. I'm like, no, you don't <laughs> have to do that. You really don't have to say that. And then the little, there's this little uh, dude. He's like, I'll, I'll tell her I'm Michael Jackson's producer. I'm like, uh, she doesn't really care. Like, you don't really have to tell her that. So I take these two guys after work. I, I call this girl up. I said, hey, I got some. I figured two guys would be nothing for this girl. I, I said, I got some buddies that want to meet you. So I drop them off at the hotel and that she was staying at. And of course, I'll never forget it was the Sterling Plaza. So Donald Sterling owned this hotel. It kind of makes sense now. <laughs> and uh, they they call me like three days later, three days, and they're they're like, "Hey, Earl, thanks a lot." And I'm like, "How was it? She's amazing, right?" They're like, "How was it? We're still here." <laughs> oh, now, there's wow. one more. There's one more part of the story, and he's one of the guys I ran around with uh, who wasn't at the first party, uh, uh, and who. You know, he's, he's, he's still in the business, so I'll just leave out names. And uh, he calls me up and says, hey, I got to go to this girl's pad. The boys are talking about her. I'm like, yeah, yeah, just go over there. She's at the Sterling Plaza on Beverly Glen and Wilshire. And uh, he's like, I'll take her to dinner. I'm like, uh, dude, you don't have to do that. You really don't. <laughs> just go over there. And he's like, no, no, I'll take her to dinner and play pool. I'm like, you don't have to do either, but here's where she is. You do whatever you do. So the next day she calls me and I'm like, Hey, how was, uh, how was Rick? That was good. Good time. 
good sex. And she looks at, or she tells me uh, over the phone, uh, I didn't have sex with him. I'm like, huh? You didn't have sex with one guy? Were you not attracted to him? It's like, she's like, no, Earl, I'm not having sex with anyone that can't beat me in pool. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's a true story. Nothing exaggerated. Oh, man. Wow. Earl, uh, before we get out of here, I like to usually, uh, yeah, I know. It's, what a story to end on. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, let me ask you this. Uh, do, first of all, where, where can people find you? Where, what, uh, what would you like to, I, I know, is it the Jellies? Or is, it, is that the name of the show, the Jellies? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Yeah, you can. Uh, I'm on Tyler, the creators, the jellies, which uh, you can stream, I believe, for free on Adult Swim. Um, and uh, if you like Roast Battle, uh, you can uh, stream uh, all my Roast Battles on Comedy Central. If you just uh, look my name up in the search engine, all my battles pop up. Uh, and then I was on I'm Dying Up Here on uh, Showtime. But I don't know if you can uh, stream that on Showtime. Uh, and then uh, on uh, social media, I'm just uh, at Earl Skakel. That's E-A-R-L-S-K-A-K-E-L. And if you listen to all of Darren's uh, Pocket Party podcast and you're bored, you got nothing else to do, you can listen to the Inappropriate Earl podcast. Yeah. Earl's one of the most entertaining people, uh, man, on podcasts and also like, dude, online. Like, like uh, I probably wouldn't, There's, I'm not really too entertained by Twitter. There's a lot of like, anger on there but there are people that make me laugh and and there's a handful of them and you're one of them man you're funny man you're funny on there i like how you just you, you i feel like your goal is to go for the funny on twitter you know well I, you know it's like i was just watching this uh now i have nothing to gain by plugging this show i'm not affiliated with it in any way but i was watching this uh this show on bravo called camp getaway and it's it's uh you know one of those phony reality shows where it's like seven young good-looking people as camp counselors and they're all hooking up and all that stuff and uh in one of the scenes tonight they had a party for all the camp uh attendees like people pay money to go to this camp for the weekend and they had a comedy show and the one girl uh is she's from new york and and she's like oh, well boy i haven't done stand-up in a while but the whole the last three weeks she's been telling everyone she's a stand-up and it's like, well, how are you a stand-up if you haven't done comedy for a while? And then they show her eating a shit burger for about two minutes. And it's like, so I sent out a tweet that I said something to the effect of, Hey, does anyone have any connections with the reality show? I'd like to bomb for two minutes to help my career. <laughs> yeah. like she'll get, she'll get gigs to, from clubs seeing yeah. her on tv they don't care if she's doing well or not but they can say hey come see the girl from camp getaway right 
I know. I remember thinking like how much longer until you see like a honey boo boo or one of the, they're just going to like, you know, now at the, you know, at the Irvine improv or wherever it's like, you know, I mean, we've seen it. You know, I mean, that's why, at, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I mean, look at like stormy Daniels. Like I, yeah. I saw a tweet from her today and I got nothing against her. I mean, I don't watch porn, even though it looks like I produce it. Uh, the great <laughs> now I'm doing bits. Yeah. And she. She was, I'll give her this. She answers all her trolls. So when someone says, you're a whore, she's like, well, I'm a whore, but I'm also a comedian. It's like, honey, you're not a comedian. Like, like right. me and Darren Carter, uh, the great Roger Rod, one of your old roommates, uh, yeah. you know, uh, Chris D'Elia, we're comedians. Yeah. You are just, you know, trying to cash in on the 15 minutes. And so it just... You know, I guess I call people out on Twitter, like, in a fun way. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. A hinge of bitterness just because it's like, I, I've been doing comedy like 20 years. You've been doing it the same. And then to see Stormy Daniels headline clubs yeah. that wouldn't even let me feature for Jeremy Piven, probably. <laughs> uh, it's like, right. man, this business sucks. <laughs> yeah. Do you... Uh, um I always ask people to, to, you know, when we wrap up the show, if they have any, like, I would say this, like any words of wisdom, things that you've learned along the way. I mean, you know, anything you want to partake, you know, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, for comics or just life in general? Either or, you know, comics, life in general. I mean, really, for comics, just uh, start sooner than 30. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, I mean, that's one of the things I do love about comedy is you can make it if you're older. Now, making it is different to us all, but, uh, like, if you're funny, you'll make it. Like, at some point, you'll get your shot. Uh, might be the wacky neighbor on a sitcom, might be a Conan set, but you will get the opportunity. Uh, and this kind of goes to my advice I would give to, to regular people, you know, uh, be nice to everyone, you know, and that's something I learned from my dad. My dad, like I said, was as nice to the caddies at Bel Air Country Club as he was to his billionaire business friends, uh, you know, and I've taken that to heart. Like, I'm as nice to Boone Shakalaka, who is a homeless transvestite at the comedy store, and I'm as nice to him as I am to Russell Peters. Yeah. You know, I probably am nicer to Boone than I am Russell. And it would benefit me more to be nicer to Russell. Uh, yeah. But because uh, you never know, like, it, you should be nice to people just because that's how you should be. But, like, you and I have both started. You know, when I started out, I started with Whitney Cummings, uh, Jeselnik, uh, Natasha Leggero, and uh, I was nice to them. Uh and, and I was nice to the open micers who never made it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, so. And that goes a long day. way too, because there's nothing worse than when, uh, you know, you, I'm sure you've seen this where somebody, they get to another level and then they kind of dismiss you and they kind of, Oh, Hey Earl. And they just kind of, it's weird. Right. Like, so it's good to just, you know, be nice to everybody and, you know, make everybody feel good. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at Natasha, she's got her own show now, and I think on CBS, and I mean, Jesselnick's always got a show on TV, and Whitney's like the queen of, you know, the yeah. entertainment business, so. Uh, do you ever, do, let me you ask know. you a question, because uh, I, I, do you, um, with your experience, 
Um, do you ever see something in some of the people that have quote, like made it to that really big level? Like, do they have a certain common thread or is it just, is it, is it more than hard work? Because I feel like a lot of people do work, but is there luck involved or what do you think it is? Or do you have any, I, you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, a lot of it is luck, you know, not to, I'm certainly not on the level of the comics I just named, but like how I got on the cartoon, you know, it was a series of lucky events. Uh, you know, I was, Brian Moses was nice enough to have me be the sidekick on Roast Battle for a long time. And, uh, you know, that was a show that when it started out, um, all the industry passed on it. Like literally every network was, mm. I, I don't know what they said, but you could tell they were like, who's going to watch two unknown comics talk about who they slept with and, and who who's gay in the open mic community. Uh, <laughs> no one's going to watch that. Even I didn't think people would watch that. And then, uh, you know, it blew up. And, and then one night, uh, Tyler, the creator was sitting in the audience and, you know, he's the biggest rapper in the world right now. He just won a Grammy and he's uh, got a clothing store in Fairfax lying out the door every day and the clothing line and, you know, he's got his own social media app and it was just lucky that he was there the night, one night I was killed. And, and I don't even remember what I was saying, to be honest. It was just, you know, I rarely kill. I mean, usually I do okay, you know, I have a good set, not great. But that night, I just for whatever reason, I was on fire. And it was just luck that he was there that night. And That's awesome. Uh, you know, it's, I think Gerard Carmichael brought him there just on a fluke. Uh, they were in the studio doing some, and I, I don't know what was said, but I'm sure Gerard was like, Hey, let's go to roast battle tonight. And, uh, you know, so you know what? I guess like be, you do have to be where the luck is going to happen. Like you can't like, what if you were so funny, but you were performing in, you know, Riverside, for example, or someplace, you know, it's, you might but you not, never know. Like, yeah. uh, you know, and I did those Riverside gigs with Eddie Jarvis. They're horrible. Uh, but you know, it goes to like, I remember when, uh, I started with Whitney, uh, we would do the sportsman's lodge on Friday and Saturday nights. And I was probably more highly thought of than her at the time. Like as crazy as that sounds, like I would get to go on before her. Uh, and, and so you never know who's going to make it like And like I said, you should be nice to everyone because that's just, uh, how it should be but you know you go to uh in other words you don't want to be like if there's any comedians watching this the up-and-coming comedians you don't want to be the guy that's in the back of the room talking shit on everybody and and being negative and just being you know what i mean where you're like yeah you don't want to be like that you want to be more like earl says you know you want to be more positive and you know i mean you don't have to be phony nice uh you know but like you know i really learned that from my dad but you know you also see you know, the, the Delia's, uh, you know, he takes care of all his friends, you know, all his comedy friends who were probably nice to him when he was nobody, not that he was ever a nobody, but like, you know, when he wasn't as known and, and Whitney uses the same people and Natasha does. And, uh, cause they remember who was nice to them when they were nobodies or not known. Uh, you know, I, and once again, I'm, I'm not on their level, but like I've gotten people auditions for my voiceover, uh, agency that you know i thought oh this person was nice to me when i wasn't on tv at all you know they, yeah. let me see if i can get them in and you know stuff like that 
I remember when I was, uh, uh, now this isn't as positive, but I'll tell you sort of a negative story. I remember when I was up and coming, this headliner, back, I was the opener, he was the headliner, and he counted every time I said the F word. And when I walked off stage, he threw a paper at me and he goes, here. And I, and I picked it up and it said 17 fucks. And I know what he's trying to say. Like maybe don't, but the way he did it was so rude and I'll never forget that. You know, I don't even think that guy's in the business anymore, but that was, that was not a nice person to do that. Oh yeah. I mean, I'll remember one time I, I'll never forget. It was the first time I met Josh Wolf. We did, uh, some horrible sports bar gig in like Corona. Like it was just oh, way yeah. up. Uh, and it was a Barry Neal gig. And I don't mind saying his name because I'll never interact with him again. And, uh, you know, I was, I was kind of green at the time. And, uh, you know, I survived on being likable more than funny. Uh, and he just, he gave me the light after like three minutes because he said, you swore, I told you not to swore and this is my room and you're going to go and you're going to take tickets for the rest of the show while I'm on. It was a total like, whoa, dude, like, I'm, you know, I drove out here for free uh, and, and, you know, Josh Wolf was just like eye rolling and going, dude, this guy is just trying to get a few minutes of stage time and, uh, you know, point is i'm probably in a position now to help barry neal and i never would right he's not asked me but like i'm sure he wouldn't mind being on an adult swim cartoon and i right you know and and yeah you know, i've seen it with roast battle too like uh you know that's its own subculture but like you know i've seen people kind of be mean to some of the younger roasters and then some of these younger roasters are also good stand-ups and, and they get on TV, say a Conan spot. And then these roast battle comics who aren't, you know, necessarily good at stand-up and they need help. Uh, they're not going to get a Conan uh, audition because, Oh, you made fun of me when I wasn't a good roast battler, which, <laughs> you know, well, I yeah. just got on Conan bro. So uh, <laughs> do you want my uh, recommendation to Conan? I'm going to give it to Earl over you. Yep. Yep. That's it, man. Earl, thank you so much for, for coming on the Pocket Party Podcast. You guys, check out Earl. I guarantee you're going to like it, man. And uh, what can I say? Thank you. Dude, thank you. You uh, like I get misty-eyed when I think of, uh, you know, when I first started and when I first met you, uh, you were always nice to me and always very funny. And, uh, you know, I don't – I think sometimes comics have a hard time appreciating – a style that's opposite of theirs. And like, I can't do what you do, dude. Like your impressions and you know, the, the sound effects and then like the great jokes. Like it's just, it's, I feel like Eddie Van Halen liking, uh, you know, Charlie Daniels. Like it, it's right, like, right, right. Uh, that makes any sense, but, uh, you're one of the good ones, man. And like, <laughs> thank like, you, buddy. When I first met you, like I would say, from that time to now, like 85% of the people that we were in it with quit. So I know, um, you know, I, I appreciate you more than you probably know. Oh, Earl, you're the best man. And I'd love for you to come back and we'll tell more stories, man. Thank you so much. Oh, believe me, there's <laughs> a lot more stories. None of them comedy related. <laughs> what happened to those Ritz crackers? Were they on the counter? What happened? I want to know. <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, and I know we got to wrap it up, but when I took the cracker off or when I took the bag off, you know, those ice cream things with the, my, my PT looked like a nutter butter. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh man. What a life. What a life. 
Earl, thank you so much, man. Have a gr- have a great night, and thank you. And go get a good workout now. Two in the morning. <laughs> yeah. I know it's the worst. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Darren. You're welcome, buddy. Thank you. We're done with this interview. Everybody, listen to Darren Carter. We all know he's the party starter. So if you want to listen to a podcast for free, then listen to the Pocket Party. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.